This is the Scott Thompson Show podcast. All right. uh, You might remember we were talking last week about uh, the Welcome to Hamilton sign and how the mayor was making it a personal project to try to get her done. Also, uh, out today he was earlier on uh, and and talking about energy systems and something called uh, Electra. We'll ask him about that as well. Joining us now, Mayor for the City of Hamilton, Fred Eisenberger. He is with us now. Hello, Mr. Mayor. How are you today? I am great, Scott. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you for taking the time to join us. I know you're a busy guy. Happy New Year to you. Is it still too late to say Happy New Year? No, I think you pretty much got the whole month of January to say that. All right. Okay. Go for it. And Happy New Year to you, too. So tell us about uh, uh, Electra. What is this all about? Uh, Electra is the uh, what was formerly temporarily called MergeCo, which is the uh, the merger of the utilities between uh, Barry, um, Mississauga, Vaughan, Markham, uh, Hamilton, and St. Catharines. And uh, it's really an, an opportunity for us to uh, come together collaboratively to create a larger and more efficient uh, electricity distribution company that uh, will not only uh, provide some, uh, some costing benefits, but also some dividend benefits to the municipalities going forward. So those efficiencies are going to translate into you know, at, uh, at, at best, a uh, reduction in costs, and at uh, the very worst, or at the very least, uh, a, a reduced pressure on increasing costs. How did this come about? Uh, how did we even get here? Uh, this has been years in the making. Uh, I would say the uh, discussion uh, around this has been uh, very aggressively done for the better part of a year. Uh, the uh, Part of the genesis of that is... Uh, the opportunity for all of these collective entities to purchase Brampton One Hydro, uh, which uh, enabled us for to uh, to not only provide benefit, benefit to the province but benefit to uh, the Hydro One customers in Brampton. So uh, it, it was seen to be uh, the way of uh, mergers and acquisitions is the way of the future in terms of the utility district. We previously had a merger in the city of Hamilton between Hamilton and St. Catharines. Uh, it demonstrated uh, a much improved efficiency as a company and uh, certainly a downward pressure on uh, distribution costs as well. So we expect that that pattern will continue in this new merged entity. So will that include Horizon? Is that all enveloped in this? Right. Horizon, uh, Intersource, PowerStream, and uh, and uh, Borealis, which is a, uh, a pension fund, which had a, uh, a minor interest in the uh, Intersource uh, company. And uh, and now including uh, Brampton One, which is the uh, the uh, uh, utility that was sold uh, by by Brampton to uh, to the province of Ontario quite some time ago, that uh, we have now assumed control over and will provide benefit to uh, to them as well. So all of that forms a new company called Electra. So this is good for Hamiltonians uh, as operating costs go down. They should see this, correct? Yeah, uh, they, they'll not only see uh, you know reduced operating costs, but increased dividends. So each and every year, we uh, we see a dividend from our utility, uh, Hamilton Utilities Corp, to the tune of about eight million dollars or so that comes straight to the uh, the city of Hamilton coffers as the shareholder value from uh, the operations of that company. We expect that dividend to increase by uh, ultimately by six or seven million dollars over time. Uh, and uh, in the coming year, probably to the tune of about three or four million dollars, additional dollars that will come to the municipality that it can use to do infrastructure and uh, other good works or reduce our, our, our budgets. 
Uh, as always, people usually concerned about these sorts of things, especially when there's mergers and, and people saying that uh, the prices are going to go down, costs are going to go down. Uh, what do you say to those skeptics that may be worried that it may go the opposite, that things might go up? Uh, well, I mean, I, that, that hasn't been the experience. Uh, that, that wasn't the experience uh, between uh, uh, Hamilton and St. Catharines. Uh, even though, and you know, people need to remember that the distribution cost in terms of the entire hydro bill, including the water utility that's added to that, that uh, also gets included in the efficiencies of delivering that bill, is 25% of the uh, the overall bill. Yeah. Uh, the rest of the electricity cost is uh, is borne by the province of Ontario, and it's the actual production of electricity and the distribution through the main lines to uh, communities like Hamilton and, and to, to this new corporate entity now called Electra, which then distributes uh, from there. So I would say, uh, you know, I don't expect that there's going to be a massive drive down of costs, costs in terms of uh, the, the bill. Uh, there'll be a, mo- a modest uh, decrease, I believe, next year of about $40 on an annualized bill on the distribution side. But I expect that uh, that the cost containment uh, can only happen uh, if we uh, create create efficiencies in the organization. So to further, uh, uh, you know, reduce uh, increased uh, rates in the future, these are the steps that we need to take to ensure that that doesn't happen. All right, let's move on and talk about the sign. Are we getting a sign yeah. finally, Mayor? I'm going to do everything humanly possible to get that sign done, uh, sponsored by the corporate sector. Um, I'm, I'm, uh, we, we know that the, uh, the signage cost for a portable, illuminated uh, sign that uh, can be put in front of either City Hall or at gateways or at uh, various events uh, is in the order of about $250,000. I have no doubt that uh, the corporate sector will uh, step forward that, and uh, you know, provide the necessary resources to, to do- donate this kind of sign uh, on behalf of the uh, the corporate sector to the citizens of Hamilton uh, in, a, in the you know the 2017 year of our 150th anniversary as a country. So I'm uh, I'm optimistic that we can pull those resources together, get the corporate sector involved, and uh, get that sign happening. Uh, hopefully by July 1st of this year. How come you decided to go the private route and uh, and ask for business leaders to help? Well, I mean, it's uh, I mean, it doesn't affect the the levy, and it doesn't affect the taxpayers, which I think is a positive step. And I think uh, I think the corporate sector uh, should be a partner in celebrating our Canada's uh, 150 as well, and uh, we'll be appealing to them to uh, to do just that. Um, and you know, will they? I mean, there's uh, there'll be some placking and uh, recognition of their contribution, and uh, but I, I know that uh, you know many corporations are doing well by. Uh, the citizens of Hamilton that work uh, through, for, for these organizations. And uh, I think it's uh, not too much to ask for them to give a little bit back collectively to uh, create something that will uh, endure for the city of Hamilton and uh, really say what Hamilton is really all about, which is progressive, uh, caring, and uh, prepared to demonstrate that we are a significant city in our uh, country. Considering how long this uh, has taken, is this just an easier way to get it done? Well, <laughs> You know what? I mean, I, I think at this point it's the only way to get it done. I, mean, I know that there hasn't been a lot of enthusiasm to do this, and there's always, uh, you know, questions and concerns about where do you spend your money. I mean, we spend our yeah. spend taxpayers' money in various different ways. I, I personally think it's a, a good investment in the future of our city. 
but it's not an investment that uh, many around the Council Horseshoe were prepared to uh, sign on to. And, and I think it's appropriate that the corporate sector uh, participate and uh, you know demonstrate their commitment to our city and their, their uh, gratitude and appreciation for what this city has meant for them. Uh, I think it's a great idea. You know my feeling on it. I like the sign. I like the idea of it being a mobile sign as well. My only concern with that is now. Do you think you're going to get blowback when it comes to staffing it? Now does somebody have to look after it? Do you have to be the sign steward now? Uh, you know, I, I really don't see a major problem there. I mean, uh, you know, you're not going to move it every day of the week, and uh, you know, our, our city staff move uh, large objects, uh, you know, all the time. We are going to design it. We are going to design it to ensure that it's uh, it's it's uh, easily portable. And uh, that it isn't, uh, you know, outrageously expensive to move from one location to another, nor should it be. So we're we're gonna we're gonna do everything possible to uh, to make it very manageable for everyone. Are you looking uh, at something similar to what Toronto has at Nathan Phillips Square or outside Amsterdam Airport with the all-letter sort of uh, idea? Is yeah, that what you're looking are, at? Uh, those are exactly the models I have in mind. Uh, you know, I saw it uh, I saw it in Amsterdam when I was there. Uh, three, four, five years ago and thought, boy, this is a, a striking thing that everyone wanted to get in front of and get their picture taken in front of. And, yeah. uh, you know, after the Pan Am Games, uh, the Toronto sign was of uh, a similar kind of uh, uh, enthusiasm around people, uh, you know, liking to get their picture taken around Toronto, uh, the sign in front of Nathan Phillips Square. And, uh, you know, there's no reason why Hamilton shouldn't put a Put a put a marker down and say, uh, you know, we're as proud and if not prouder of our city than uh, than, than Amsterdam and uh, Toronto, and uh, why not make a make our mark and let people know that we uh, we share that pride. How has the response been so far? Any takers? Uh, yes, uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna uh, tell you who's uh, who's on board just yet, but mm-hmm. uh, I've got I've got some work to do to uh, corral some private sector uh, partners out there. But I uh, I am uh, enthusiastic, and I know that. Uh, the, the the folks that I've talked to so far have been enthusiastic as well, and uh, I foresee that we're going to uh, we're going to land this sign. Any ideas a timeline? I mean, obviously, raising funds is one thing. Then there's construction and such. Uh, will this take beyond uh, our 150th birthday to get done? I am I am hoping. I'm working hard to see if we can get it done by July the first. Uh, but uh, you know, it takes three or four months to uh, to design and build. And so, uh, you know, it's a, it's a tight timeline. So I'm going to do everything humanly possible to get it done by then. Great idea. Mayor Fred Eisenberger has been with us, mayor for the city of Hamilton. And, of course, if you want to contribute to the, to the sign, call the mayor's office. He'll help you out. Uh, Fred, as always, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Good luck with this. Thanks, Scott. Have a good day. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. Let's move on and bring in John Yakabuski. He is the PC Energy Critic in Ontario. He is with us now. Hello, John. How are you today? I'm great. Good morning. Good, I guess I should, good afternoon. How are you today? I'm doing very well. Thanks for taking the time to join us, John. Uh, are you surprised that the PM has taken heat on his tour in regard to Ontario electricity pro- uh, prices? Oh, I'm not surprised at all. Uh, uh, if he was going to be doing town halls in Ontario... Uh, it was going to be the uh, probably the number one topic, Scott, that was going to be uh, leveled at him because it's the number one topic that we've been hearing about for several years now, and it's really uh, gained focus uh, in the last year. In fact, I think the Liberals themselves, uh, the provincial Liberals, gave it more focus when they um, implied to the people of Ontario they're going to, they were going to save their bacon on this hydro mess that they've created by giving them a rebate on the HS, the provincial portion of the HST, 
And when people took a good look at that, they said, what are you talking about? You've, ris- you've raised my rates by over three times, and now you're going to give me 8%, mm-hmm. and that's supposed to make it all good? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, what do you think the chances are that the PM may pick up the phone and say, hey, you got to get this under control. You're ruining all of our brands. Uh, I don't think there's any chance he's picking up the phone and calling her about it. Unfortunately, he should, because he should be, t- you know, they were, uh, you know, as you say, joined at the hip uh, through the, uh, the last federal campaign, and Kathleen Wynne was portraying Justin Trudeau as the savior uh, for Ontario after that terrible Prime Minister Stephen Harper, and uh, that, you know, we were going to have to such, have such a wonderful relationship with this new, young Prime Minister, charismatic Prime Minister, uh, we know what happened with the health care accord, uh, you know, just uh, a couple of a month and a half or so ago when the federal government said no. Uh, and now uh, Justin Trudeau, as much as uh, threw Kathleen Wynne under the bus uh, when it comes to uh, hydro, because uh, he is the prime minister. And a, a lady in Peterborough asked if, you know, for him, please step in, do something, help us. Uh, and basically it was his, uh, you know, um, well, uh, that's a provincial matter, uh, you know, and so I, I don't think that there's going to be a whole lot said, uh, but, it, but it is good that the issue has directly uh, reached the feet of the prime minister, uh, as opposed to just us hearing about it here in, uh, you know, on the provincial level. He now knows what a mess we've got in Ontario when rural people are absolutely struggling to get by uh, here in the province of Ontario, and and hydro is a is a huge uh, component to those troubles. Obviously, electricity is a provincial issue, not a federal issue. Was it right for him to push it off? In the end, I mean, I don't think she was questioning him about electricity prices. What she was saying was, now he's going to add cap and trade on top of all of that. Uh, what were your thoughts on his answer? Well, I mean, he was doing it. Quite frankly, he was doing his best uh, to do what he usually does and deflect any personal responsibility. Uh, but you know, when the well, as I say, when the prime minister is getting that kind of feedback from the public, I think he has a responsibility to talk to the premier of Ontario uh, in uh, on on that issue. But you know, let's you know why are why is he getting that message from people in Ontario? It is because they're so frustrated. I mean, the Liberals brought in. You know, probably the biggest boondoggle uh, that we've ever seen in this province in the Green Energy Act that has has had so much negative impact on on energy rates, and now they're going to bring in another boondoggle, the cap and trade, of which they're going to try to take the money that they're taking out, some of that money that they're taking out of your pocket on cap and trade, and try to tell you that oh, but we're going to make it easier on the electricity side, which mm-hmm. is. It's just, you know, it's just one mess after another, hoping that somehow uh, in June of 2018 uh, that the people will be fooled uh, by, by these li- this gang of liberals. Uh, it appears now that it seems to be resonating with the leadership, and maybe it, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Uh, your thoughts on this. It, it's resonating with leadership that people are very concerned about losing their standard of living, and that's whether you're rich or poor. Um, and and they can't seem to see a tangible return from what we're we're spending. I mean, there's so many issues, you know, around health or education or what have you, and it seems to be that 
all of our resources, all of our energy is being put into this file. Uh, do you think it's finally resonated that people aren't going to sit back and watch them and, and watch themselves lose their livelihood simply because of really think, a, a plan? I think that's an excellent point, Scott. Because I mean, you look at, for example, you know, the, some of the latest things coming out of the medical side, where people, where the experts are saying, spending continues to rise, but service levels drop, and the average person asks themselves. You know, if I put more investment into something, I expect to get more out of it. Uh, and this is, you know, the legacy of this liberal government. After 13 years, spending has risen and risen and risen uh, to the point where we're, our, our, our debt is now in ex- over $300 billion. And people are asking themselves, what have I gotten out of it except a huge liability going forward for myself, maybe my children, my grandchildren, depending on the age of people, uh, who's, you know, who's going to be the, left, the ones left holding the bag on this and to have to pay this, this bill at the end of the day because the liberals just keep adding to it without giving us anything to improve the standard of our lives in return. Well, and it seems that this is costing us the most, and the priorities have fallen from education, health care, jobs. It seems we're spending most of our money on green than we are on all these other things. And a lot of people have benefited tremendously by it, particularly friends of the Liberal Party. I mean, if you look at the, uh, the energy companies that took advantage of these exorbitant rates that the Liberal government was willing to pay and have you as the ratepayer have to absorb them and 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 saddle and be saddled with the uh, the uh, the cost of them uh there's an awful lot of friends of the liberal party that did very well in this green scheme that they came cooked up with uh, uh cooked up uh, you know in the latter part of the uh, the last decade uh when was uh in oakville uh, not too long ago and in, in talking about uh, all of this and she says that it's not enough what they're doing with the rebate it's not enough but what is enough what, what well, is the solution she's, here? She's, she's reacting, quite frankly, to the absolute dissatisfaction of the people in, in their uh, response to her, what she thought was going to be the answer, and, and you know, insulting them with a, an 8% rebate when, uh, when the cap-and-trade kicks in and uh, wipes out all or most of that uh, in one fell swoop. Uh, so she's reacting to the, the response of the public. And, of course, what's she going to do? She, she, she wants to win the next election, and she is going to do everything she can by hook or by crook to convince the people that they should get another term after it'll be 15 years of a disaster uh, of a liberal government in, in 2018. But she's going to do everything she can to convince the people that she should be reelected. And, and she's always going to tell you. I mean, I hear it in every issue that comes up in that legislature. We can do more. We can do more. When is it you're actually going to be able to say to the people, we've actually succeeded in helping you? Because every time they lift their hands to help people, the general result is that the average person struggling to get by in this province has been hurt more than they've been helped. Uh, She will say that all you guys do is complain that you don't have any solutions. Well, I guess she'll have that that opportunity to examine our, our solutions when the campaign comes around and our platform is fully developed. Uh, but we've been watching this uh, this government closely. Uh, we have been listening to the people most closely. We're involved in the most comprehensive policy development process in our party's history. 
And when the people go to the polls in 2018, I am confident that they're going to take a hard look at the, the options available, from our, uh, particularly from ourselves, and ask themselves, is it time for a change after this government has been in power for 15 years? I believe the answer is going to be yes, it's time for this government to go. Uh, obviously, it seems that everybody has, uh, you know, has come to the agreement we need some sort of carbon tax or cap and trade or something. Uh, can the Conservatives bring rates down? We, you know, our, our, our policy on, on carbon pricing is, is, is starkly different from the, the uh, Ponzi scheme that a cap and trade is, where some people win, some people lose, uh, big emitters get uh, a free ride. Uh, our, 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 our policy would be absolutely revenue neutral so that the public is compensated for anything that is, uh, anything that is um, used to uh, effectively put a price on carbon will be coming right back to the consumer so that they're not hurt financially. Whereas this, this cap-and-trade scheme hurts the little guy while the actual polluters, are, and many of them are getting uh, um, emissions, emissions holidays. How does that help the average family trying to struggle by? Or like, uh, you know, like uh, Kathy Katula up in uh, Buckhorn, uh, you know, um, pleading with the prime minister to, to help. Can she re- can Premier Wynne rebate her way out of this? Is that the answer? I don't know what she's going to do, but she's going to try every which way, uh, you know, shifting the players on the chessboard, as they say, are shifting and moving the deck chairs on the Titanic. She's going to try every scheme she can to try to convince people that this is a government that cares, when quite frankly all they do care about is getting reelected. A case in point, uh, Scott, this uh, so-called urban, uh, rural task force that uh, you know, MPP Ted McMeekin has embarked on to try to uh, you know, get some answers on rural poverty. If they need to send somebody out to figure out that life in rural Ontario is different than life in urban Ontario after being in power for 15 years and ignoring it, hmm. uh, something really is wrong. This is all a this is a shell game. It's almost insulting to the people that you would now say, "Oh, we recognize now life is tough out there. We're going to send one of our MPPs to figure out how to fix it." Well, we were talking about, uh, before you came on, uh, rural areas, places up north, cottage country and such, where these people now have pretty much shut off the heat and have just resulted, uh, resolved themselves to burning wood all of the time. What does that do for green? And, you know, we were talking about this earlier. I've got someone who just emailed me that said, you know, they live in Lower Stony Creek and three of the four houses around them are continually burning wood for the exact same reason. So, I mean, you know, we're, 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 you're trying to wean every Everybody off, well, not you, but people are trying to wean people off of fossil fuels and such. If they're just burning more wood, how does that solve the issue? Yeah, in in, in urban areas, it, it can certainly be a uh, a challenge because of the uh, the direct emittance right into the neighborhood. Uh, but in rural Ontario, it's it's quite common. Uh, you know, you, in most places, you don't live right next door to your neighbor, and a lot of people yeah. do uh, heat with wood uh, if they're uh, now. I mean, there's uh, if they're uh, forced to heat otherwise, they're going to have some really difficult choices because in many of those cases there is no access to natural gas. Yeah. And they certainly can't afford to heat with electricity. I mean, uh, the cost of heating with electricity in rural Ontario in a small, in a uh, freestanding home uh, is one of the issues that is uh, most troublesome for, 
for us uh, when we see uh, you know seniors that built a home in the 1970s when the, everybody was telling you heat electrically it's practically free yeah uh, and now they've got baseboard electric heat and they're freezing in their own homes because they can't afford uh, to to run those baseboard heaters uh, the uh, Liberals will say this was all about getting us off coal and infrastructure upgrades. That's why the costs are high. I don't expect them to, to worry about what the facts are. Uh, they're always going to be, uh, you know, um, promoting their own message because they want the people to believe what they want the people to believe. Uh, and they're going to try to continue to, to spread that message. But so much of this cost this upward pressure on the cost of electricity was completely unnecessary, completely unnecessary if they had gone about it in a fair and honest way. And whatever um, electricity contracts that they would have signed over the past eight years, that they would have been signed at market rates, not at rates that were through the roof and lining the pockets of liberal-friendly developers. If they, if the cost of electricity and the contracts that were signed were reasonable and had been signed at, at rates that were um, supported by the, by the market, were, were in the market rates, we wouldn't be in this situation. But they decided they wanted to uh, be the champions of green. They promised 50,000 green jobs. They never, ever materialized. In fact, so many of them that did actually take place have now disappeared. They're gone. They're not people that were manufacturing, you know, components. Most of them are all closed up. They're manufactured now, and they're being manufactured in China. It never in the, uh, resulted in the jobs that they promised at all. And the other promise they made was that this Green Energy Act, I remember George Smitherman writing me a handwritten note, said it would result in 1% per year increase in electricity bills. Can you imagine that? You know, there's the lie, and then there's the big lie. One percent per year was what he said this, this Green Energy Act was going to result in electricity rates rising. I mean, that's just, and it's been so harmful and so hurtful to the people as a result of that absolute boondoggle and a complete, um, a complete fraud on the people of Ontario. John Yakabuski has been with us, PC Energy Critic in Ontario, talking about Ontario Premier Kathleen Wynne, of course, uh, her energy policy, uh, policy spreading to the uh, Timmy Tours of the Prime Minister. John, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Have a great day, Scott. You too. John Yakabuski with us, PC Energy Critic for Ontario. Feel free to send in a note or Facebook or Twitter. So many ways to get a hold of us. Uh, just like John writes, uh, Scott, for future reference, it's called the Selfie Esteem Tour 2017. The Justin Trudeau uh, Community Tour is actually the Selfie Esteem Tour. Uh, quite interesting. Uh, John doesn't think that... Uh, that the Prime Minister will say anything to Premier Wynne on this. However, uh, at the end of the day, there's only so much money to go around, and it seems it doesn't matter now uh, what kind of liberal you are, people are going to scream at you, whether it's provincial or federal. Uh, everybody believes now you're cut from the same cloth. And it was fascinating that in Ontario, this was the story out of, out of that tour on Friday, this was the story that resonated in Ontario. It was the story of the lady getting up uh, and, and, and telling her story about living with her four kids and, and having grandkids and a disability and being unable 
to make ends meet because her electricity bill is so high. Uh, She acknowledged that it's a provincial uh, scenario, but she said to uh, the Prime Minister, now you're going to tack a cap-and-trade on top of that. So uh, you can wash your hands of it, but then, you know, in the end, you're doing the same thing that Premier Wynne is doing. Uh, Fascinating to see that sort of... um, uh, 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 back and forth go on great for him you got to give him credit for at least going out there and sticking his his hand on the stove per se but it's interesting that in ontario it's a hydro story that resonates what resonated with people out west was the fact that he said look you know we can't close the the uh, oil sands down now it's going to take time to phase out meanwhile the people in alberta are going phase out what what are you talking about So, again, it seems to be this mantra of saving the planet at any cost, as if it is all of our fault. For example, wouldn't it be better to, you know, help China with natural gas fresh from Canada rather than polluting with coal? Wouldn't it be more realistic to think of that rather than, you know, phasing out the oil sands? Are you kidding me? And apparently... All of this is way more important than your health care, the economy, your job, education. Because the problem that is costing us the most and that people are the most angry over is not health care. It's not jobs. It's not any of that. It's being green. When we really can't be any more green than we are and have it make any kind of difference. So why is the Liberal Party trying to save the planet on the backs of Canadians or in this case Ontarians? We do a great job. We've done a great job. You should be commended for it. Even though we overspent, overpaid for it by $37 billion. So says the Auditor General. We're way ahead of the curve. So at what point do you back down and start putting some of your attention towards raising our standard of living, education, health care, jobs? Because right now all we're doing money is throw all we're doing right now is throwing money down a big green hole. And again, it's not that we all don't want to save the planet, but it's very clear the liberals have used this as a scheme to raise money. And now it is more important than anything, than anything. Doesn't matter about your job. Doesn't matter about your health care. Doesn't matter about the education your kids are, are getting. None of that matters. The only thing that matters to the liberals is getting you off fossil fuel. What year is it? Is it 2072? Already? These, these people are pulling the wool over your eyes under the guise of green so you'll give them your vulnerable green dollars so they can blow and make it look like they're saving the planet. Which really, I think Ontario's done more than its share. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. All right, uh, only a few weeks after OPEC started to cut production of oil, U.S. producers are ramping up. 
their shale gas business. We were talking to Dan McTagg a while ago saying that, uh, you know, it certainly looks like uh, prices are on the way up. Is that the case? Joining us now, Dan McTagg is with us, former Liberal MP and Consumer Affairs critic, uh, analyst, gasbuddy.com to find out more. And he is with us now. Hello, Dan. How are you today? Dan, are you there? Oh, Dan, you are there. Yes, yes. My goodness, uh, you've, you know, we <laughs> just. Yes, I'm doing fine. Thank you, Nat. Thanks for having me. We, we rub the genie bottle, and sooner, sooner or later you appear. It's great to hear. I popped out. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. All right. Uh, first of all, before we get into uh, what's happening with OPEC, what are your thoughts on uh, Trudeau doing his uh, Timmy tour, the church basement tour on Friday, whatever, and then gets uh, a, a lady up there who decides she's going to um, uh, give him a piece of her mind on her struggle with uh, large electricity rates and so on and so forth, and obviously electricity a provincial, uh, provincially regulated and such. But I guess her point was was that now you're going to slap a cap and trade on us. Where does it all end? Surprise that provincial politics seems to be bleeding into federal. No, not at all, because, of course, the federal side of the government is really uh, very much uh, connected to what's happened provincially. The Green Energy Plan was uh, very much a uh, policy of a good number of architects in the Liberal Party provincially, and a good number of those individuals have migrated to the federal side. Uh, Liberals have been, since 2008, uh, pushing the idea of a carbon tax. So this plan provincially, which, of course, has uh, literally run ashore, uh, is, uh, is, is certainly not something that's far off from the interests of the, uh, of my colleagues, uh, my former colleagues in the federal liberal party. And of course, uh, although some are trying to suggest, oh, constitutionally, the individual, Kathy Cthulhu, I believe was her name, uh, from Buckhorn, Ontario, uh, raising the issue of, uh, she did two things. She raised the issue of, uh, of hydro rates, but she also said, you're bringing about a carbon tax. Yeah. How is this going to help me? And the fact is that, uh, whether Kathy recognized it or not, um, the increase uh, in the cap and trade this year alone, if she's only making $65 every two weeks, that's what's left as disposable income. That's pretty much gone, unless, of course, some form of subsidy kicks in that will help her. But uh, the reality is that uh, between higher energy costs, uh, between higher gasoline, diesel, and potential costs down the road, whatever was left of her disposable income in that context uh, could be gone. So there is a lot of connectivity between the federal and provincial plans. They're both on the same page. They may have a different approach, uh, but clearly uh, someone is going to have to throw in the towel and say, uh, this wasn't such a bright idea. Maybe we should look at it from a different angle, and that's ensuring that uh, while we pursue this policy uh, of, uh, you know, of, of pure environmentalism, we may also want to uh, remember that we can't forget the very people out there who are, uh, are not going to make it in this circumstance. Uh, prior to the election, it seemed the premier and, uh, and, and Trudeau were quite tight. Uh, are they now? And would the PM be placing a call saying, hey, you're damaging the brand? Do you think they chat about this at all, or is this he just stays out of it? No, I don't know if that would be the case. I'm sure that uh, you, both of them are feeling the sting. I mean, everybody wants to be on the environmental page. It's, it's a, you know, it's, it's a hit use word, it's motherhood. Everybody wants to be there to, you know, champion the idea of, uh, of uh, reducing our emissions, uh, reducing pollution. Uh, but when it comes down to it, uh, the devil's in the details. More importantly, the devil's in how much it's going to take out of your pocketbook. There are a lot of people outside of uh, the big smoke and big areas that are at a point where, uh, it, and it is, from my, from my standpoint, a tipping point. They can't afford to give more than what they've already given. And so uh, the suggestion that somehow this money can be taken, given to industry, create 25,000 jobs, 
all of these things uh, would be great in, in a perfect environment, but the reality is that it's likely to do far more damage than good. And for the federal and provincial governments, uh, a, a very serious rethink is going to have to take place, or they will be shown the door. Uh, do you think that they realize that this is finally resonating with people? I mean, it's not the case of things just going up. Everything goes up, I guess. It's people are losing their standard of living, and what seems to be costing them the most is energy. It's not education. It's not health care. It's not creating jobs. I mean, these are all the things that normally sting us. Now we're getting stung by something that isn't tangible, that we don't even know. That it's not transparent. We don't even know whether to believe it or not. Well, I mean, again, we have to look at whether or not people can afford these uh, missions. Uh, it's, it's great. It's wonderful to say you sign an agreement and you have opportunities to say Canada is going to become a leader. But if there isn't the, the, use the term quid pro quo, if you're not getting something back for all doing all of this and you wind up impoverishing damaging the ability for people to make ends meet, uh, then that is a very serious outcome. And, of course, you will get those. Uh, I see it all the time. I mean, uh, in reflection to what happened, yes, the defenders were out there, and, of course, so oh, you're a denier. The, the usual ad hominem nonsense that comes out, if you don't believe what we're saying, then you must be against the environment. It's just, it's gotten to the point now where those who have pushed this agenda fail to realize that it's lost on most people who can't afford to pay for it. And, uh, you know, perhaps slowing down. Um, there's no rush in this thing. Whether one accepts the science or not, this is an absolute thing. Uh, you, you, you may have questions about this. Uh, that is to say whether or not the world is, in fact, warming up and whether or not it's doing catastrophic damage. It's as if we've never had hurricanes before, never had cold winters before, never had warm summers before. But regardless of the debate on that front, uh, in Ontario and in Canada, these are accepted as absolutes. And I Scott, in our last conversation we had last week, week and a half ago, I said, you know, people voted Liberal, NDP, Green. Most parties had a, a very strong position, put a price on carbon. Mm-hmm. Uh, the public has to really understand that when they're making those decisions, apart from all the other good things and plans that parties put forward, one of them was to tax. And, uh, uh, you know, clearly uh, there is, of course, a, a severe uh, consequence uh, and a growing consequence for consumers uh, who may find it very difficult to make ends meet at a time when uh, prices for everything are rising, some of it due to other circumstances. But we find ourselves at a time when oil, gasoline, propane, natural gas have been relatively cheap. That's no longer going to be the case. I look at natural gas, which has gone up about a third in cost this year versus last. There's a threat that oil could do the same. If these are true, then you know this will mean uh, people having to dig into their pockets a lot deeper, and there comes a, really a tipping point, a, a point where people can no longer afford. I think we're getting there. Unfortunately, it's not the market that's doing this. It's not uh, people's bad behaviors. It has to do with governments uh, determined to, uh, to impose a tax to achieve a certain end, which they've uh, agreed to. It's funny how when the Prime Minister did his tour, how it plays differently in different parts of the country, depending on what he said. Uh, for example, as you mentioned, the lady from Buckhorn, it's that story that resonates with Ontarians. People were cheering her on when she was up there saying her points and stuff. And yet when it, out in Alberta, there was something else that, 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 that uh, struck a chord and, and played completely different out there. And that being that the prime minister announced, you know, said something along the lines of, uh, you know, we can't phase out the oil sands overnight. It's going to take a long period of time. And, and you know, to which Alberta's what? Facing out what? And, and Premier Notley speaking up, saying basically we're not going anywhere. 
Yeah. So how, how does that play? Well, it doesn't play very well at all. It would be like saying that Hamilton, we're facing out all of your steel. You'll never have anything to do with the steel industry again. Or Toronto, we're facing out uh, the financial industry. I mean, the talk of this is really not helpful if it's being done from a political standpoint because it sounds like, hey, if you don't let this phase out naturally, I'm going to phase it out myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and here's where, of course, liberals run into trouble, at, at least at the national level. Um, they want to do everything they can to hurry that process. And if you do that, you're going to uh, wind up, uh, not forget the political outcome, it's that you are going to do untold damage to the economy because there is no replacement. Um, you know, Scott, in my time as a member of parliament, I represented a riding that had the first commercial nuclear reactors uh, in, in Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, those provided significant, we talked about this before, we talked about significant savings for uh, for Ontario, gave us cheap energy and allowed us to compete and attract uh, investments from everywhere. We've lost that advantage, and we will continue to lose that advantage if we continue to navel-gaze and say, well, and second-guess the importance of some of the industries that are driving our economy. Oil is important to the Canadian economy. It's not the only part of the economy, but it's an important one. And to, you know, to come out making those statements sounds a, whole like, a lot like uh, get ready for a policy change. And for many people, that's their livelihood. It just, I think it's finally got the public's attention that we're spending more time, more energy, more everything on this than we are anything else. We're spending more of our energy on green than we are on anything else that, that troubles any government, whether it's jobs, yeah. health care, uh, you know, education, what have you. And, and I think Ontarians are finally realizing that. It's like, wait a sec. We're losing our standard of living for something that, that isn't even tangible and that may be fifth or sixth down the list on a top ten for people. Well, worse, I, do, I don't think it takes into consideration the efforts that we have made to provide clean energy. And yeah, there's another great. very valid point, Dan. I mean, yeah, you go to the, tar- the, the so-called oil sands, which they try to refer to, and you get the Jane Fonda's of this world coming in to pay, pay visits without taking into account that, as, as I mentioned earlier, many times, the, the oil that she uses in her... Uh, you know, her Range Rover or her uh, whatever vehicle she's using today or the paint that's used to uh, to prime the vehicle or to uh, the tires or the asphalt that she's running on is Alaskan cruise, dirtier, and, and certainly has far more negative consequences with the shipping from Alaska all the way down to California. So, you know, we've got to be very careful here because there's a lot of people have perhaps put themselves in a situation where in defense of their science, the rigorous defense of their science, they're winding up leaving everybody uh, a lot shorter and, of course, uh, with a threatened standard of living. And I've I got to tell you, uh, we're giving a lot of it away. What our grandparents and our parents did to bequeath us a strong economy here in Ontario has been systematically undermined by those who are fetching towards utopia. And unfortunately, uh, that may make a few people very happy, um, but it's going to make a lot more people less than happy, especially when they can't make ends meet. How has Hamilton not been more of a target in all of this? I mean, sure, certainly the Premier must drive over the Skyway and see the, you know, the, the piles of coal over by the mills and such. How, mm-hmm. have, how have we avoided this? Well, Probably because yeah. the economy is depressed here? Yeah, I, I, I don't think you've avoided it. I think there will be, uh, there will be re- requests and requirements that emissions be looked at. I mean, coal is part... Coal, and I'm not going to speak here as, in, uh, as a scientist or as a politician, but simply as a general rule, and I think it's common knowledge, the most efficient form of energy uh, that is produced by any mineral uh, that we know in the world is coal. Uh, the problem is that it can create uh, uh, some pretty uh, you know, uh, ugly outcomes if it's not properly treated. But you know, there again, we have the province of Saskatchewan has put billions of dollars towards uh, coal sequestration. Coal is an important part of their economy, not just because it's used for 
uh, for for mass uh, electrical production, but more importantly, it's also used uh, uh, for uh, for other products uh, to be shipped worldwide. And so, uh, you know, it doesn't cost as much. But if you look at the uh, the main project, something that is Deer Lake Dam, I think it's referred to as the project itself takes coal and uh, buries it in in the ground and seals it forever. Uh, there's some really good work that's being done, and of course, it's. Uh, being negatized by those who are uh, going out, spending a lot of their time pointing fingers and saying, "Oh, look, there's some vapor coming from that chimney stack. That must be a bad thing. How how terrible it is that we live in a, in a world that does those types of things." Well, you know, look around you. Look at the, what has bequeathed this stand, uh, a standard of living and a quality of life that uh, no generation previous to us has ever enjoyed. I mean, there's problems, but that is all at risk. And uh, there's a good number of people out there who are working very hard uh, to to ensure that. Uh, uh, they get their way. They want control of resources, and they certainly don't want everyone to think that there is an opposition and that there is might be a, another viable view on, on, on science. Uh, I, for one, know that uh, carbon dioxide in and of itself is part of the giver of life. It's part of photosynthesis. It is not something to be uh, to be denigrated as quote-unquote pollution. But you'll see them use that word, CO2 pollution, when in fact uh, a good amount of CO2 in the air is not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, all right, we talked uh, weeks ago about OPEC and them trying to get along and come to some consensus about what they're going to do with production. Uh, obviously decided at one point to uh, keep the taps open, flood the market, hoping to drive uh, frackers and shale and all of that out of business uh, and such. Obviously that hasn't happened. Uh, then there was chatter that they're, uh, of course, decided to get on the same page and try to cut production to drive prices back up. It, does that matter anymore? I mean, is there enough production in other parts of the world where it really doesn't matter what OPEC does? Well, there's 65 nations that produce oil more than what they consume. Um, 24 of them have decided to sign on to a uh, reduction of what amounts to 1.2 million uh, barrels a day. Uh, and they're, they're moving towards that. But as they do that, so the Americans are picking up uh, their uh, production by 100 million barrels a day. I mean, uh, sorry, 100,000 barrels a day, 100 million, I wish it were that much. Um, you know, the fact is that they are going to, at the end of the year, wind up with uh, producing more energy uh, and more oil, uh, the very kind of oil that is being uh, withdrawn from the market in other parts of the world. So are we going to hit that balance between uh, supply of oil globally and demand? I don't think so. I, you know, I think we're still uh, far off. It's still early days, but um, you know, if if several exemptions have been given to the Libyas, to the Iraqs uh, of this world, uh, with Iran, you know, told that it cannot produce more, but it can certainly lead up to what it was uh, able to produce prior to the sanctions being imposed about five years ago. It seems to me that uh, you're still going to wind up. Uh, imbalanced in terms of oil and, and demand. And so uh, I don't see how this is going to move until at least 2018. So the price you see as for oil is, I think, pretty much going to be the benchmark for the year with the possibility that in six months this whole agreement, which is only six months long, uh, may very well be the last agreement uh, for quite some time. Is it easier to make cap-and-trade policies and, and energy policies uh, a little bit more palatable when oil is so cheap? I mean, people are sitting paying, you know, around a buck for a liter of, of gasoline. Do they care if it goes up to a buck five or a buck ten? Well, they do, depending on what kind of vehicle they're driving and what the alternatives are. But five cents... Uh, multiplied by uh, 65 liters, multiplied by 50 weeks is an extra 150 bucks. Uh, 
uh, that's just for gasoline. Never mind uh, the diesel, uh, which went up a lot more than that, which delivers pretty much everything throughout our economy, or better yet, a colder winter, which is, what, of course, what we're having, which means that, uh, uh, you know, taxing uh, and placing a burden on such clean energies as propane and, uh, more importantly, natural gas means that the, uh, you know, costs will be much higher, and that's only the beginning. We don't know which way cap-and-trade will go. What we do know is, unlike the carbon tax system that exists, say, in uh, uh, British Columbia, it's not revenue neutral. It's designed to take money out of our pockets and have uh, the government design and decide where that money, that potentially anywhere from $1.8 billion, uh, to much higher, where that's going to be spent throughout the economy. And so uh, it, does, uh, man- it does matter, I think, to a lot of people, uh, not just in terms of its direct impact, but the lack of, a, of, of an indirect benefit. Why aren't we doing what BC is doing? Aren't they the environmental province? Aren't they sort of the environmental watchdog for the rest of the country? Aren't they more sensitive to this than anyone? Yeah, you would think. I, I don't know why this decision was made to choose this particular system, which has been uh, generally uh, trashed globally. I well, mean, I, you know, my first my first answer to that is is exactly what you just said. It's not transparent. You don't know where the money goes, and it can be right. used to finance other projects. Well, that's it. And that's so, you know, bear in mind that it's also taxed, and it taxed, uh, we've already seen the tax on energy of 8%, which was introduced by the same government, uh, although a different premier, uh, but the same group that's now finding their way working with the uh, the new prime minister in, in Ottawa uh, by eight um, percent. At that time, uh, it was it was <laughs> it was trying to be. I was sitting as a Liberal caucus member uh, federally and saying, "How are you going to how are you going to justify an across the board eight percent increase at a time when prices are rising? If prices start to rise again, um, this will only compound the uh, the difficulty and the ability for people to pay. And then, no, people will not be able to turn around and buy a brand new electric car, which is three times the cost." And certainly, um, you're forcing people to do something, not that they can do, but that they really financially cannot do. Uh, I just, I think it's important that those who are making the wonks making these decisions, uh, cheering us on with uh, ads that uh, that tell us that, that we're we're doing a disservice to our children if we don't agree with this stuff, should really do a little bit more homework. Go back and uh, check out the drawing board because there is a serious and growing disconnect from the emails that I'm getting between uh, those who want all environment and those who can't afford it. Dan McTagg has been with us, former Liberal MP and Consumer Affairs critic, uh, gas analyst, gasbuddy.com to find out more. Dan, as always, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Oh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me again. Have a great day, Scott. You too. Take care. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML.